I'm so pleased to be here. And I did see the notice that Carla had put out to your church. And I was reading the description of this preacher and I thought, he sounds awesome. Uh, and I am so glad that I'm going to the same church as that man, but I had no idea that it was me. But guys, I am so glad to be here. We've had such fun with Carla and his wife. And I'm gonna explain why I say his wife because we really enjoyed listening to their testimony of how they got together. And I, I, I wanna tell you now that it's not the most romantic story I've ever heard in my life. I mean, there, it is a rom-com, but it's not one that you would perhaps choose to, choose to, um, to look at. But this morning, when I, I came in and I, I said to Carla, look, I, because I am Scottish, to you I probably sound funny. Now, I want to tell you, when I came here, I was told that this is an Afrikaans-speaking congregation. And so my gift of interpretation this morning has been awesome, because I have understood every word... And I am now hoping that you will have the same privilege as Afrikaners of understanding me in your tongue, which I'm sure the Lord is doing. But I said to Gala, I, I want to be so sure that I don't offend your wife with, with the pronunciation of her name. Because in my country, a, an O always is U, like Och I the New. You've probably heard that phrase before. And I said, so your, your wife's name is Naku. And he said... <laughs> Namabru. <laughs> and then, and very smugly looked at me and he said, Ooh, oh. <laughs> so I said, so your wife's name is Nako. And he goes, hmm. <laughs> and do you know what she said? She said, that's not my name. <laughs> she said, my name is Naoko. So I think, so I feel like already we're doing some deep marriage counselling that should have happened 17 years ago. And now they know each other, I think things are going to fly for them. But listen, I am so glad to be here. It's wonderful to be with my wife, Kaz. And um, we are just bringing greetings from the Isle of Man. We have three children, Holly, who's 20. Um, Holly used to be Ewan's daughter, but she's now so famous in 412 that I am now Holly's dad, which I hate. And I was watching some worship videos from our church the other day with Brad Verena. And Brad said, wow, you've really made it. You're Holly's backing singer now. And I said, I'm not sure how keen I am. But we have Holly 20. She loves worship. And her best friend on the Isle of Man is actually Warren and Lynn's daughter, who is lying sick in bed today. So we'll be praying for her. But Hannah has been a great delight to us. And I just want to say a huge thank you to you for loaning us her for a year, we think it could be five years, but she's not listening to Jesus, she's listening to her own heart, and she'll be back pretty soon. But we have had such a joy. We also have a very big rugby playing boy called Connor, who is 16 and about 103 kilograms now. He's a big beast of a boy. He eats more than the rest of the family. And then we have our little girl, Afterthought, or we call her Sky, but she's 10 years younger than the first one. And she is a delight to us. And we bring greetings to you. We're thankful for all that you have done in our church through Hannah, through 412. And we just want to give you the greatest thanks for your generosity towards us. And Kala and Naoko, it's so good to be with you guys. And thank you for 
inviting us here today. That's a risky thing to do. <laughs> the presence of God, we've been thinking about that this morning, haven't we? And the, just the value of Jesus. And I, I just wanted to say, even in worship today, one of the things that I am so, so keen on in our own churches is not having that rear part of the room divide to the front. Do you ever feel that in your churches that worship gets hotter the further forward you go? But the Lord is at the back of the room as he is at the front of the room and we must value him. And today we're going to be thinking about a story where actually the presence of God was greatly overlooked, much to the detriment of Israel. I would say that for most of us, challenges are something that we will face on a daily basis. Just raise your hand if you've ever had a challenge. Now keep your hand raised if that challenge is color. Oh, no. three people, three people. That's, oh, you went there with a the double hand. Oh my goodness. It's terrible when the pastor's wife thinks the husband is the challenge. But listen, do you know in life they say that challenges are what makes life interesting, but overcoming challenges is what makes life purposeful and meaningful. Now, we all grew up with stories of giants. I don't know what it's like in South Africa, but I can tell you, I used to play rugby for Scotland, and in 1992, our under-18s team was the first team to come into South Africa after sanctions were lifted, and I was sick. I couldn't make the tour, and when I went to meet the rugby team that came off the aeroplane, I could not believe what I was seeing. There were heads bandaged, there were legs broken, arms broken. And I said to the boys, what happened? And he said, mate, there are giants out there. <laughs> and I think you owe my country an apology for the damaged people that have visited. I mean, we do not do well against the box. But you know, giants are not simply things that exist in fairy tales and children's books, but giants are very real in our lives on a daily basis. And every one of us, if you haven't yet, you are going to encounter a giant at some point in your life. It might be that your giant is an emotional giant. It might be something that you really struggle to overcome. It may be the giant of fear. It may be the giant of depression or loneliness or jealousy or inadequacy. Perhaps for you, the giant that is knocking on your door at the moment is the cost of living crisis. I don't know about you guys, but in my country, we have people in our churches who are really starting to struggle and we've got to stick together and care for those who are in need. And we've got to make sure that there's nobody in the house of God who is without. Your giant could be a relationship that you have with a boss in your workplace. It could be a threatening health condition that you have. It could be that you just feel, I have no purpose in life. I don't actually know what I'm on this earth to do. And whatever your giant is, the presence of God is key to overcoming everything that faces you in this life. And today I was really praying about what should we talk about? And I thought, I, I want to talk to you about a story that you may have heard of that involves a giant. Can anyone think of what that giant may be? And I'm going to give you a clue before you shout out. It's not Jesus. It's not the Bible. All the stock answers in church will not apply. The giant is, of course, Goliath. One 
person has heard the story of Goliath in the Kala. What are you teaching these people? Naoko, you've got more work cut out for you than I realized. We're going to be thinking about the wonderful story of David and Goliath. But I'm hoping today that we're going to bring a totally fresh perspective to this incredible story. Well, it starts in a valley that is 15 miles or say about 25 kilometers west of Bethlehem, the childhood town of David. Two great armies have lined up on either side of the valley. On the one side, we've got the Israelites, you can see. Yes, we've got the Israelites. Yes. On the other side, we've got the Philistines. You can see. Boo, that's good. So we've got the Israelites. And we've got the Philistines. And we've got the Philistines. No, 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 no. You've got to pay attention. So the Israelite army is on the side of the valley and they are absolutely paralyzed in fear. They have come to a standstill. There is a hulk of a man. He's obviously an Afrikaner. He is nine feet tall. That's about this tall, nine feet. His brass armor, you ready for this, is 90 kilograms in weight. Now I am probably about 63 kilos. Are there any ladies that are 90 kilos? No, I'm joking. Any men? Any men in the house this morning that are 90 kilos? Just stand up if you're about 90 kilos. Can we have a 90 kilogram man? Who's about 90? Warren, put your hand down. Who's about 90? 90. Sir, you look 90 in that shirt. I saw that face. Come here, please. Just stand. How tall? Oh, he's bigger than I thought. Come here. Come here. Now I am going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say you are 90 kilos. So I am going to try and lift you. He's about 60. Where's the 90? Come on. Thank you, bro. That's good. You can go and sit. That is, I mean, that is a heavy, heavy man. And Goliath's armor is the same size as our great friend over there. And he is wearing this and the Israelites cannot see beyond it. In fact, the sun is shining on his brass armor and the Israelite army has become blinded by what they say. We could see that actually they are so in fear that they are blinded by the outward appearance of the man. But David was strengthened by the inner presence of God. He had a different perspective of this story. And David, however his fear would face him, knew that there was a way to overcome this. He knew that he could be a giant slayer of note. And so this morning, you need your pens and your notebooks at the ready because we are going to do the six key principles of giant slaying. And the first one is this, that giant slayers gain their strength through submission. Through submission. Now, whenever you see the word submission in a British church, the place goes just like this church. It's like, he was so fun about five seconds ago. And then he had to say the S word and we're going, 
for submission. But do you know, I think that submission is a rarely celebrated gift in our Western culture. I think that we are actually encouraged to look after number one. We're encouraged to make sure that I am okay. Believe in yourself. Take care of yourself. Make sure that you meet your needs before anyone else. But that is not the way of Jesus, is it? And I think that the problem when we find ourselves looking to self all the time and relying on self is that we become unsubmissive to a higher power. And we begin to discover that as we look to our own wisdom, as we look to our own intellect, as we look to our own strength, that the very blessings that God wants to place over our lives become cut off from us. I mean, how often, honestly, in our churches do we, do we see people that actually just don't participate fully in the body? Do you have that issue here? Like in my church, we... We have people that are not right at the core of the church. The church can be an optional thing that they attend twice a month and not four times a month. They won't come to our life groups. They don't want to fully integrate themselves in and participate fully in the family of God. But that is not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for a bride that we would fully devote ourselves to, fully give ourselves to, that we would not give up meeting as some have made their habit. But we would be people who fully gave ourselves to the house of God. God has designed the family of God to raise us up, to strengthen us. And power comes to us as we give ourselves to our leaders, to their authority and to the king of the house. You know, I remember reading a story many years ago about a young man who had walked into a church in London, in England, with his dog. And this man had no interest in what was happening in the church. And the dog began to bark and yelp and bark and yelp. And so the minister, who was distracted by that, asked the deacons to come forward. And he said, could you please just, could you take the man out? Or at least ask him to be quiet. And so the deacons went down to the man. And the man was yelping. You look like a yelping man. And he's, he's yelping and barking with the dog. And the deacon said, sir, would you please leave? Could you stand up? You can stay, sit down. Uh, could you please stand up? And the man, man, it's going so wrong, isn't it? The man, can you be a man for a moment? You're, okay. And so the man just would not leave. And so what they did is they phoned the police. Thank you, you're an excellent young man. Woman, woman. And a police officer came to the church. And the police officer was about this high. She was a woman who looked like she was about 18 years old with freckles on her face. And she went up to the man and she said, sir, you need to leave this building now. And immediately the man stood up and he walked out. Why was that? Why was it that this young woman could just go and exercise a degree of leadership over this man that not even the deacons or the minister of the church could? It was because of the badge that she wore. She was wearing a badge that represented a much higher authority. And what gave her authority was not physical presence, but actually what she represented. She was under something that was greater, something that was higher. And when we place ourselves under a greater and higher authority and all that God puts over us, 
we begin to discover that God brings his kingdom in through us. And our submission to God, our submission to our leaders is so, so key in order to bring in the fullness of the kingdom of God here on the earth. We could say that the more power we will have to experience victory as we face our giants comes through the way that we live for others who are over us. So I'm going to give you a phrase that you're going to need to process several times. And it goes like this. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Exhale. Ready to write this down. You have to get under what God wants to put over you if you're going to get over what God wants to put under you. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. You're going to get this. You have to get under what God wants to put over you if you're going to get over what God wants to put under you. Is it getting there yet? You have to come under authority if you're going to get over the things that God wants to put under your feet. What we come under is so important for what we are able to get over. It's so important. Now, how does this relate to the story of David and Goliath? You're all going, where is this going? Guys, it's going somewhere awesome. It's going into the Bible. So let's pick up our story in 1 Samuel 17, 17 to 18. Listen to what the word says. One day Jesse, the father of David, said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and then bring back a report on how they are doing. Now, this is King David that we're talking about. The greatest king ever to rule over the 12 nations of Israel. But can you imagine that king beginning his life towards greatness and authority by simply taking cheese sandwiches to his brother? But that's where it started. It started when his father Jesse said, I want you to do something that is simple. It's insignificant. It's not a great task. But David, somebody's got to feed your brother and I want you to do it. And immediately David said, I'm a man under authority and I'm going to go wherever the Lord is sending me. You know, obedience is so key in the little things before we see more added to us. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? He said, it's when you are faithful with little that more will be added. And I so often think as I follow Jesus that when I fail to see the more, it's because something's gone wrong in the little. And sometimes those little things are the things that we think aren't important. When Jonathan, who leads our churches on the Isle of Man, says, you and I want you to send an email to one of the administrators to tell her when you're on holiday. And I go, wow. I'll let them know closer to the time. Do you know what happens? I'm not coming under the little things. And so the bigger things are not being added to me. It can be in the simplest of tasks. And I think that so often when we come into our churches, often we want to be the captain of the army. But the way to captaincy in the army of God is to come under the little things. The way to captaincy is to learn to deliver the cheese sandwiches when we think they're unimportant we do what we're being asked to do so that the Lord can add more to us Peter says this in first Peter 5 6 
Submit yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Can you see it? That there is a season, there is a timing to these things where God is calling us. Submit yourself. Here's a verse that winds me up that I hear all the time. Have you ever heard people quote James and they say, oh, Lord, we're just going to draw close to you and you'll draw close to us. Have you heard that? And we say it like all we have to do is draw close. Do you know how that starts? It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The intimacy, the presence of God, the nearness of God, the closeness of God starts with hearts that are submitted to Jesus and submitted to one another. Are you loving this message now that we're on submission? It's going to get even better. You know, David was not even an army, in, uh, even a soldier in the army of Israel. David was just there to deliver the bread to his brothers. But, you know, David was at the right place. At the right time, because he humbled himself, he submitted himself to his father, he delivered the bread and the cheese, and in being faithful in the little, a great legacy began to break open over him. God has called us to be submitted one to another. Do you know that Kala? is actually submitted to you as a congregation because we know Ephesians 5.21 tells us that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. We do it because we love him. But in the same way, in Hebrews 13.17, you are called to be submissive to him, to actually obey the things that he does. The reason his wife doesn't obey him is because he doesn't know her name and she never knows who he's talking to. But that is just gonna, that's gonna change so much. But we must submit to one another. Here's the second key of slaying giants. Giant slayers gain confidence through a new perspective. So we gain confidence through a new perspective. One of the things that I have discovered in facing my own giants in life is this, that the more I talk about my giants, the bigger they seem to become. They do. But here's the thing. The way we talk changes what we experience. Because what the tongue speaks creates an atmosphere that you must then live in. So if you are talking about your giants all the time, then the atmosphere that you will live in is despair and hopelessness because the giants are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But faith comes through my ears. And so I must create an atmosphere of faith around myself. I must speak not about my giants, but about the God who is so much greater than them. And if you start to talk to your giants about the greatness of God, you'll be filled with faith and hope. If you talk about the size of your Goliath, then your hope is going to start to diminish. We've got to get our tongues under control. In 1 Samuel 17:20, we learn this. That when David came to his brothers, the army is in a low place. The word says that David rose up early in the morning. He left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench, say trench. So they're in a trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouting for the battle. But you know, giants always seem bigger when you're in a low place. 
Giants always look bigger when you're standing in the trenches. When we are looking up at our giants from the trench, they just seem huge and insurmountable. But God is saying to us this morning, wake up. Didn't we say that earlier? Wake up. Get out of the trenches. Get onto the high ground. Get a new perspective of who our great God is. And if we can get that new perspective and climb out of the trench with somebody pulling us up, somebody giving us a second opinion, somebody saying, come on you and you short Scotsman, you can get out of there and you can overcome any giant. When we do that, we begin to see our great God conquering what he wants to put under our feet because we're coming under what God wants to put over us so that we can get over what God wants to put under us. Now I love the story of Joshua and Caleb. Who's ever heard of them? Aren't they just awesome? And Joshua and Caleb, as you know, were sent into the promised land to spy it out. And they went with another 10 spies and they all went into the promised land And do you think they saw different things or did they all see the same thing? I think they saw the same thing. I think they saw a land that was flowing with milk and honey. I also think that they saw giants in the land. But 10 of them came back and said, we are like grasshoppers. Just like the Scottish rugby team in Durban in 1992. They're like giants out there. They're so huge and we're just the tiny people. But if I'd been there, there would have been trouble for South Africa. (laughs) Because I've got a different perspective. I know how to get out my trenches. I also know how to be very dirty in rugby. (laughs) But you know, they thought we can't beat them. They're too big. They're too great. Nobody can overcome them. That was not the perspective of Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb saw what everyone else saw. But they weren't in the trench. They were standing on high ground because they had their eyes fixed on God and not on the giants of the land. They had a different perspective. And this is what they said in Numbers 14, 6 to 9. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will. Now, I think this, I love this. He didn't say we will overcome them. What did he say? We will devour them we will eat them for breakfast we will take them down so easily because their protection is gone the lord is with us so do not be afraid of them can you see it that when the presence of god is with us and when we value the presence of god we can devour anything that stands in our way There's no giant in your life that cannot be overcome when the intimacy and the presence of Jesus is so real to us that our perspective has changed because now we look down on the giants that God is putting under our feet. We've got to get out of the trenches. Here's point number three. Giant slayers focus on the reward and not the risk. Who has ever worked with a naysayer? You're all scared. I'm not going to say anything about Carla this time. But have you worked with a naysayer? Just raise your hands if you've ever. One of the, you know those really negative people. And every time you say we can do something, they say, well, here's 10 reasons you can't do it. They are, the, well, I've got to be careful here because only about four of you raise your hands, which means the rest of you are naysayers. They're lovely people, but they're a pain in the bottom. And we don't need naysayers in our lives. 
You see, in overcoming every giant, there is going to be a moment of great risk-taking. And for David, the risk is obvious. He's just a young boy, but he's got to go out and face this brass-clad giant of a man who has a huge sword and a huge spear. And if either of those weapons touch David, he is going to be wiped out. But do you know what? He didn't seek the details of the problem. He asked for the details of the reward. I love that. I mean, it's true, isn't it? That so often when we face our giants, we begin to micromanage the details of, right, okay, well, right, this is a great problem. There's a cash shortage in my life and I won't be paid until the 23rd of October and I'm not sure how that money's going to come in. So I need to make a micro solution. David did not do that. That was not David's way. David just simply said, what do we get for killing Goliath? That's all he wanted to know. First Samuel 17, 25. They said the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. Get in there. I mean, I'm about 15 or 16 years old. There's a wife in this. I can take any giant. Woohoo! I'm there. I'll do anything. I don't need armor. I don't even need a sling, but I'll take one just in case. But there's a girl involved. I mean, isn't that what it's like? I'll do anything for this reward. And he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, he didn't know what taxes were at 15 years old. But the girl, ooh, that was good. That's what happened to me, darling, when I met you. But you see, the problem is this, that the enemy always wants us to focus on the scale of the problem, but God wants you to focus on the scale of the reward. That's why we are to live for what lies ahead of us. That is why we're to set our gaze on the goal that lies ahead and not on the problems that we're gonna encounter getting there. Jesus said, you will have troubles in this world. But worry not, because I have overcome the world. And so we are supposed to be reward-focused people who can see what's coming. Whatever you have to do to break through in your situation, it is worth it. It's worth fighting for. Imagine if David had simply said, look, the guy is too big and the risks are too high. Do you know what would have happened? Israel would have become a slave nation again. David's children would have grown up in captivity. How often do we focus on the risk at the expense of the generations that follow us? How often are we not looking at the reward and teaching our children, look, it doesn't matter how hard this gets, Jesus always comes through. Jesus never fails. He will not let us down. He is with us until the end of the age. But you know when he's with us? When we're moving. And if we're moving... He's with us. But I think if we're not moving, I'm not sure it's quite the same situation. We've got to get ourselves on the move. We've got to take the risk. It's worth it for the reward. Think about the risk that Jesus took on the cross. It was a huge risk. Father, if there be any other way, please let this cup of suffering pass from me. But your way and not my way and for the joy set before him 
he endured the cross. Why? Because he was reward focused. He could see beyond the excruciating pain of the cross. He could see that after the cross, human history would change as lost men, women and children from all nations on the earth would be reconciled to God because Jesus was reward focused and would take the risk in order to bring us through. Paul, the apostle Paul was a reward focused man. He said, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. Can you see it? That the great men, the great heroes of the Bible were people who were focused on the reward. Paul was really going for it. He was ready to make faith steps in order to get the prize. He knew that there was nothing better than Jesus. In fact, earlier Margot said that, didn't she? That he considered all things garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. What a great way for us to live. But here's the thing with your giants. Sometimes you have to take risks. And if your giant is wounds from the past that are holding you in shame and captivity, sometimes the risk is opening up old scars. But the reward is true healing. Your giant might be an addiction. It could be an addiction to money. It could be an addiction to something else. The risk is to bring that into the light with a friend but the reward is for freedom and broken chains. Your giant could be that at times you're so lonely and you're so pained in your situation that you even wonder if it's worth living this life. And the risk is to reach out to a friend and say, I'm just so, I'm so alone and I need help. But the reward is comfort and counsel and safety and healing. This is why God is calling us to be people who focus on the reward. Here is principle number four. Giant slayers ignore the voices of discouragement. And I think that one of the most important factors always in slaying giants is choosing the voices that we're going to listen to. And there are lots of voices around us. There are voices that encourage us. Sir, what is your name? Yak. Could you stand for me? Yak. Are you a leader in the church? Yes. So I, when you were speaking this morning, I saw a leadership calling on your life. And I saw the spirit of Barnabas over you. And I actually saw you as being a great encourager in the house of God. And I felt the Lord calling you daily to encourage people in this house. And as you encouraged, I saw this network, this web of support going out across the house. And I felt the Lord was going to use you really powerfully to build the house of God, just as Barnabas did in his day. There is such a great spirit of encouragement on you. But the thing with encouragement is this. Encouragers don't always get encouraged, but it doesn't matter. The Lord has called you to pour out, pour out, pour out. And as you do that, your satisfaction will come from him and you'll be rewarded by seeing this house strengthened by what the Lord does through you. I was so encouraged by you this morning. Thank you so much for sharing. We need to choose who we're going to listen to. And I think that sometimes when we're facing giants, the only people we hear are the whiners. Do you understand my accent? I can't say it in Afrikaans. The, the whiners, whiners, the whiners. And that's not people that make, it's like, 
is the people who moan. The moaners. Are you with me? We're good. We're clear on this. Good. Is the Afrikaans filter still working? It's awesome. So the Israelite army has been staring at this giant for a few weeks and he's bigger than he was at the start because they've been talking about him, they've been looking at him from the wrong perspective and it just seems to get worse and worse and they are whining. They are moaning about this man. But do you know what David said when he saw him? It was simple. He said, he looks smaller than God. He is smaller than my God. And if he is smaller than my God, then there is no problem here. And I would much rather listen to David's voice than the voice of the whiners when I am facing my discouragers. And the problem is we will always have people who are going to discourage us. And we have got to learn, just as David did, to silence the voices of discouragement. Now, the first voice that David has to come against is not the army of Israel, but his own flesh and blood. It's his brother, Eliab. And this is what Eliab says to him in 1 Samuel 17, 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. What a mooner! What a whiny older brother. I'm glad my older brother isn't like that. But Eliab was actually discarding the very presence of God. He was offending God. He was ignoring God for his own comfort. He could not see what David could see and how wrong he was. And here are three things that voices of discouragement will do to you. The first is they, they will undermine your purpose. Why have you come here? Who are you? Have you ever experienced that? I've experienced that in my life. The first church meeting that Karen and I went to when we moved to the Isle of Man, we were just happy little lambs, glad to be there. It's wonderful to be with the brothers and the Anglican church and the Methodist church. How lovely to be one body all together. Mm -mm. So the first words anyone spoke to us were these. Nobody wants you here. What? I'm the baby of the family. Everyone loves me. Nobody wants you here. Why? And they said, and I didn't understand this, it's like Hillsong coming into town. I said, Hillsong? I said, there are 20 of us and we've got no money. It's hardly Hillsong. But they said, we don't want you here. But you know, the enemy is always going to try and make you feel unwelcome where God has put you. And we must silence that voice. Here's the second thing that the enemy tries to do. He tries to undermine your significance. Did you notice what Eliab did? With whom did you leave those few sheep? I mean, he can't even give David the dignity of where, where is the flock? He's, he had to... To belittle the status of what David was responsible for. You have a few sheep. Who did you leave the little flock with? He tried to belittle him by stating the insignificance of David's responsibility. People will do that to you. But we've got to silence that voice. And then he tried to undermine the integrity. You are conceited. Your heart is wicked. You came to spectate. 
You ever experienced that in the kingdom of God? Where people question your heart. Uh, and it hurts, doesn't it? But we've got to learn to hear the voice of God and not the voice of the enemy. Because David had come to that place because the Lord led him there. He came to honor his dad, Jesse. He came to check on his brothers. His heart was so pure and so set after God's that he would not sit around like his big brother Eliab and let the reputation of God be slandered. David had come to restore the confidence of the army of Israel in the presence of the living God. And so we must be people who know how to silence those whiny, moany voices and hear the encouragement of our Father. Here's the fifth key in slaying giants. We've got two, sorry, we've got 23 more to go. Is that all right? <laughs> two more to go. Number five, giant slayers don't try to be somebody they're not. Now listen. It doesn't matter if your neighbor gives you a gun. If God puts a pebble in your hand and he anoints it, then the pebble is more powerful than the wrong weapon. And the enemy will never cease in his attempts to make you insecure about what you're actually carrying, about your ability, about your wisdom, about the weapons that you have, about how adequate you are for the house of God. He has never understood the ways of God. Think about it. He scorned Jesus as he was dying on the cross. Satan believed that a great victory was coming. But the things that amuse me about it is that Jesus was dead and still defeated him. It's incredible. Our God didn't even need to be alive to overcome his enemy because he is so much greater in death. But how much greater is he in life? God does not want you to be anyone but you. Now I know you're looking at Carlo this morning and you're thinking he is awesome. He, uh, he was perfect until I realized he didn't know his wife's name. I've been, been, looking, been looking up to him. But listen, God is not looking for a hundred Carlos. That would do, it would be fun and it would be theological, but it wouldn't be very useful. We need people who can actually do stuff in the hands of God. We need useful people in the house. I'm just kidding. He is lovely. So many things to correct after this message. But you know, Saul wanted David to go into the battle wearing what? The wrong armor. 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 40. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And so he took them off and then he took off his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the great Philistine. Now, why did David take five stones? I don't care. I am sick of preaching on David and Goliath. And people come up to go, Oh, would you like to know why I had four other stones? <laughs> Goliath had four sons. Ooh, did he? I don't think that's a reason. I don't care. You don't know. And I don't know. So at the end of this message, come and talk to me about submission and not the stones in the bench. Okay. But listen. God has placed several pebbles in our hands. 
Because sometimes I notice that my giants topple when I pray. Sometimes I notice that my giants topple when I fast and pray. And I really mean sometimes. Sometimes my giants topple when I worship. Sometimes I notice that my giants fall when I pray in agreement with a brother or a sister. Sometimes I notice that my giants fall when I get a revelation of Jesus and a new perspective of who he is. And that's just five of the endless pebbles that Jesus has put in our hands. God has given us all we need to topple our diet, our giants. And when one of them doesn't seem to work, we move on to the next and we keep trusting that Jesus is coming. It's a bit like the Daniel principle. Daniel fasts and he prays. And after 23 days, the angel comes and says, I heard you on day one, but there was a battle in the heavenlies. We don't know what's happening up there. But we know that if we are faithful, that God hears us on day one. And in his perfect timing, the solution will come for us. So I want to say this. Use the anointing in your sling and not your neighbor's gun. Use what God has given you. Here is the final principle of giant slayers. Giant slayers know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, I have a great friend whose name is Eric Moore. And if Eric came into your church, you would terrify him because it's too loud and charismatic. And when Eric worships God, he likes to worship like this. He's more of that kind of, do you know the kind of Christian I mean? And I'm not saying there's anything like Carla this morning said, guys, we need to rest more. We need to be quiet more. We need more monastic chanting, he said. We need more of that in the church than we have at the moment. Well, Eric was one of those. But Eric was a missionary in Ecuador in South America. And he told me this incredible story once about going into Ecuador. And he said he was evangelizing a group of witch doctors. And one of them came through to faith in Jesus. And came out of this group of witch doctors and began to minister with him all over Ecuador. But one day when they were back in their hometown, Eric described the scene a little bit like a showdown from a Western film. You know when you've got saloons down one side of the... Of the, of the track and you've got hairdressers and all the stuff that Kala doesn't need down the other side of the track and, and, and you're standing there. There's Eric and the witch doctor and they stand at one end of the street and at the other end there are 200 witch doctors and they begin to shout at Eric and his friend and they are shouting satanic chants at them and they are bringing the voice of discouragement against them. And Eric said, I can't remember if I did, but I felt like I widowed. I was so scared. And then the witch doctor kicks off. And the witch doctor just goes, hmm, we come at you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Eric's like, shh. You have nothing over us. Eric's like, shh, 200 of them. You have nothing because we have the Lord God Almighty on our side and we're going to come for you. And Eric's like, no, we're not. He's coming on his own. And Eric was absolutely terrified. And do you know what happened? The witch doctors began to scream and they ran for the hills. And Eric, shaking, went into a local bar and he, he said, I'll have some water because he was a Christian. And I, and I don't want to give you any money. So, because I've got my tithe to give to church here. He's there and he, he's drinking and people start coming up to him they say that was amazing and Eric thinks they must be talking about the witch doctor and they say who were all the men with you and Eric said what men 
And they said, we saw hundreds of men dressed in white suits behind you. And they looked powerful. And they looked like they were so for you. And everyone in the town was quaking at their presence. Eric didn't see the presence of the angelic host. But God was with him in that situation. You know, I think David had that experience, didn't he? We're told in 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 47. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down. And then I think personally he gets carried away and he says, and I will cut off your head. And the Lord's like, I didn't say that bit. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into my hands. I mean, that's a cool speech, isn't it? I mean, I, I have been learning that speech for when the mechanic overcharges me at the garage. I just see it now. When he says that's 400 pounds, and I'll be, you come against me, but I come against you with the Lord God Almighty. 399 pounds. But you know, we will all face giants in our lives. All of us. But we must have confidence that doesn't come from the sling in our hands. It doesn't come from the armor that we're wearing. It doesn't even come from the brothers that we're fighting with. Our confidence is in the one who stands behind us and goes before us. You see, giant slayers always come against their giants in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And we stand under the promises of God that he will protect us and deliver us. Maybe we can just stand and bow our heads. And I just want to declare these promises from the word of God over you today. And if you are somebody today that can relate to the presence of giants in your life, whether it's a relational issue, whether it's a, an issue at work, whether it's something that is struggling in your emotions or a fear that hasn't yet come to pass, maybe it's something else. Maybe it is loneliness or anxiety. Maybe it's a fear of having no money as the cost of things seems to rise and rise. I don't know what your giant is, but I know who your conqueror is. And his name is Jesus. And the word of God says this over us today. Second Thessalonians 3.3. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of your enemy. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Psalm 34.19 tells us, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And we've heard already today in Psalm 46.1. That the Lord our God is our refuge. He's our strength and an ever-present help in troubled times. Perhaps today it's time to come under what God has put over you. Because until you, don't, until you come under that, you'll never overcome the things that God 
wants to put under your feet. Perhaps today for you, the Lord wants to give you a new perspective and to draw you out of the trench and say, come up, my son. Come up, my daughter, and stand with me on the high ground with a new perspective of the wide open places I'm bringing you into. Perhaps the Lord today has said, I want you to be a person who is much more focused on the reward than the risk. Perhaps the Lord has said, I need you to disconnect from the voices of discouragement and to reconnect to godly voices who will love you, strengthen you, and encourage you. And perhaps today, it's time for you to fight in your own armor and to stop carrying your neighbor's weapons. Father God, I want to pray over my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, I thank you that in your house today we have had fun. But Lord, under the fun, there are some really deep principles that you are saying to us. And Lord, we want to be people who are much more like David than Eliab. And we ask, Lord God, that in our Eliab moments where we are unaware of the presence of God and when we are not giving you the reverence that you deserve, that, Lord, we would turn our worship back towards you. That, Lord, when we lose hope and when we lose confidence, that we would say it's the Lord that fights the battles for me. It is the Lord that gives me strength. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who is living in me. Lord, we pray that when our perspective is skewed and more like the enemies than like yours, we pray that you would accept our, our repentance today. We want to come before you and we say, Lord, we are sorry for partnering with the dissent and the deception of the enemy. And we want to say no to that and turn away from it and realign our hearts with you in the house of God today. So, Father, would you bring us close to you? Would you bring us back to you? Father God, we want to ask for your help that when we see somebody else in the house of God and we compare ourselves to them and we say, Lord, I am jealous of what they have. Lord, would you forgive us for not being satisfied with what you have given us? But Lord, cause us to run in our own armor. Cause us to run the way that you have asked us to run. And Lord, finally, I want to pray about the area of submission. And Lord, you know that our hearts are wicked they're deceptive above all things. Who can be associated with them? Jeremiah tells us in 17.9. Lord, we ask for help with our hearts. Because Lord, we believe that you died for the house of God. Your word tells us that you laid your life down for the bride. And Father, we believe that you have called us to be connected. You are the God who places the lonely into families. You are the one who has caused us to submit to you and to our leaders. And Lord, we want to be like those early Macedonian believers of whom Paul was able to say that they first gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to us. And so, Lord, I pray for this house that there would be a deep unity here, that, Lord, there would be a, a deeper sense of your presence than there already is now, that Lord, the house would come together in such a beautiful way that you would be unable to resist pouring out blessing after blessing after blessing. Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters who maybe feel like they're on the periphery. Maybe they look at this house and they think, I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate, I'm a misfit. Lord, we're all misfits in your house, but somehow you make the misfits become a beautiful unified body 
of brothers and sisters who love one another. And so we pray for those who feel a little bit on the outside, that they would push through, that they would connect more deeply, that they would find their identity primarily in Jesus, and then secondarily in this house, Lord. So Father, we ask for deep bonds of peace. We ask for a deep sense of being planted into the house. And Lord, I pray that over this house, there would be grace upon grace and that your wisdom would reign them. We pray for Kala as he leads, Lord, and we ask that he would have such an intimate relationship with you, that he would hear you clearly. We pray, Lord God, for the leadership team here, that they would be unified with each other in a really special way, that they would run together, that they would focus on the prize that lies ahead and the saints would run with them. And Lord, that they would receive their reward on that day when you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, we ask these things for your glory and we ask them in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.